Now, mind you, it doesn't have to be Lucky Charms. You could choose any cereal you want. You're free. When the sun is set free is free indeed. It could be Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Shreddies. Anyone remember Count Chocula? I don't think I ever had it, but I remember wanting it. Anyway, we don't have time for that. Uh, today, I want to ask a question. I want to ask, uh, uh, what, what do I do or what do you do when you are wary of trusting Jesus? Now, trusting Jesus is something that we, we, we use that term a lot when we're addressing the exchange life, when we're trying to describe what it's like to live with Christ as our life. It can almost be sort of a throwaway term. If we don't want to really explain you know, what it looks like, we could just say, well, just trust Jesus. And sometimes the danger is that we can kind of dismiss emotions. But the other danger, too, um, is that some people receive that comment, especially if they don't understand fully exchange life, they receive it as a declaration of passivity. So, you know, I, I just trust Jesus, you know, I just go on, I live my life, you know, um, I, I give myself permission or license to sin and, uh, or whatever. And, and, and so trusting Jesus just kind of covers a multitude of sins, if I say that. But the truth is, is that it's not a passive term. I think um, a pastor, a lot of us trust, you know, Frank Friedman says it, says it quite well. It, it, it's very difficult. It's not a passive state. Matter of fact, trusting in Jesus is, is sometimes the hardest thing we can do. And it is so difficult that we become wary at times of trusting Jesus through difficult scenarios. Why is that? Because trusting Jesus doesn't mean certain success. Trusting Jesus doesn't mean you get people's approval. Trusting Jesus also doesn't mean that you don't have a, experience a life of suffering. And so we experience these things in trusting Jesus, and we can become wary of having to continue doing this when the results, the outcomes of doing it, they don't seem to really add up. You know, I, I have a story about this. Uh, it, was, it was recently. Um, you know, there, there was a trusted friend uh, who I had a conflict with. And I knew in my heart that I had to approach the subject matter with a certain sensitivity. I knew that I had to uh, reconcile or express my side and, 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 and come to a place of understanding between myself and the other individual. And in doing so, I trusted Jesus, and I prayed about it. And I said, well, if I'm going to do anything right this time, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to pray about everything that I do. I'm going to pray about how to express myself. I'm going to pray about what do I do next. Every step, it will be led by him. I did that. But this is what happened. Every step that I felt led to do, every response, every comment that I made that it was led by the Lord, that I was actually given instruction to do, it actually made the situation worse. And it was really tough because, of course, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm expecting things to go well. But things just kept getting worse and worse and worse. 
it got to the point where I realized the Lord revealed to me that the, the time to end that relationship, to end uh, that friendship or end this mediation time, just it had come. And so, in some ways, in a discouraged state, in a, in a, in a sorry state, uh, I, I, I ended that time uh, not getting the results that I wanted. And I remember asking the Lord later, you know, why did that happen? I, I trusted you. Did I not hear you correctly? I mean, it's possible. I mean, maybe, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I assumed I, I spoke my own you know, insight into the situation. Maybe you didn't really speak to me. But I felt affirmed of this. And again, in going through the passage that we're going to talk about today, I was also reaffirmed of this. The Lord reaffirmed my heart about it. That he led me into a season where I had to learn how to trust in him. And even though I didn't get the result I wanted, he was leading me to a new place. That, that where I was and what, and what I was holding on to previously, it wasn't as healthy as I thought it was, and I needed to actually move on. And there was a growing in grace that happened because I was learning to trust Jesus through this scenario. But it was difficult. It was really hard. And in the end, I became wary of trusting in Jesus. But he reaffirmed my heart that even in the midst of that, that he had a purpose and a mission for that. And now I can see on the other side the benefit of walking away from that, um, that, that relationship, but also I can see the benefit of what God was doing in me and what he was teaching me about the person of Jesus Christ and what he was teaching me about myself in the person of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be looking at this passage that the Lord just reaffirmed in my heart, you know, just recently. This passage where we're looking at the Apostle Paul and how he was led by God. He, he was led by the Spirit of God. He was trusting Jesus in a scenario, in, in a journey. And every step that he took, things got more difficult. Every step that he took, things got... Uh, more people lost trust in him. And more people started to doubt his intentions, even though, even though, even though he was trusting in Jesus, things didn't work out. And there is, uh, there's a special nugget of truth. There's a, there's a, there's a great mystery, um, a simple key in, in what Paul learned during that journey. And it's in this passage, it's in Second Corinthians chapter 12, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses uh, 12 to 17. And in there we see uh, this, this beautiful mystery, this wonderful simple key to learning about how we can continue to trust in Jesus, even when we're starting to feel wary of doing it. How can we continue to persevere? As we've heard in sermons past, how can we be resilient? And so um, let's read this passage together uh, before we jump in. This passage goes like this. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest 
because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is a, this is a beautiful demonstration of somebody who's come out on the other side of something really dark, but he's painting a beautiful picture for us to understand so that we can also walk in a similar example of what it is to trust Jesus. Do we get wary trusting Jesus? The answer is yes, we can. And why is that? Because trusting Jesus doesn't mean we have certain success. It doesn't mean we have everyone's approval. It doesn't mean that uh, we have experienced a life without suffering. But we can continue to trust in Jesus because he's faithfully leading us in victory. He is always accomplishing his mission. And lastly, we get to revel in his enjoyment of us. So let's take a look at this passage together. Let me pray for us before we do that. Uh, Jesus, this is, this is a tough passage. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough sermon for me in a lot of ways because it's very personal, it's very revealing. Uh, but I actually an, received a lot of life from, from diving into it. And so I pray that's still the case for us as we're listening, you know, whether uh, we're listening live or, or later on this week or, or months to come, that you would continue, just as, pro, as Ross prayed, you continue to minister life to us through this precious word. Praise right now in your holy name. Amen. All right, so let's, let's, let's dive in. I want, I want to explain sort of the context of what we were talking about, what Paul's experience was. And so uh, there's a handful of things for, uh, uh, for me to kind of uh, illustrate. And so follow with me as best you can. Now, at this point, we're, we're, again, we're in, the, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. This is, this is, I just want to say this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, book of the Bible. I just think it's, it's, it's excellent. Uh, there are so many things about it that are, so many uh, uh, passages from 2 Corinthians that are just so life-giving to me. Um, and so what we're hearing right now from Paul is that he is on a mission from God. He's being led by the Spirit of God. He's trusting in Jesus, traveling the known uh, world at the time, which is the Roman Empire. And he plants this church in Corinth. So Corinth is in southern Greece, and it's a seaport town. It's sort of a modern-day... Uh, Las Vegas, uh, in, in a lot of ways, because it's a seaport town. There's lots of money. There's lots of opportunities for sex, and there's lots of opportunity for power. So, so he goes and he plants a church in this this really really tough area. But, but, uh, but it happens, and, and and the church grows, and and he is becomes a spiritual father to the people um, in this church. And what we understand from his journeys is that he spent the most time in the city of Corinth. He spent the most time there in his journeys. 
He invested time and he invested energy. He, invo he invested emotional energy as a spiritual father, um, but also the, the physical energy of having to endure some of the persecutions he endured there. And we also know, too, that Paul sent many letters to the Corinthians. He sent, he sent lots of them. Actually, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he even refer, uh, refers to a previous letter that he had sent to them. And we don't actually have all those letters. I mean, we have 1 Corinthians and we have 2 Corinthians. But there was more that he wrote to them. So, there, so that you can see that there's this invested relationship. As a spiritual father, he's, he's giving time and energy to this, to this community. But both letters to the Corinthians, and, and if, if you spend any time in them, they're not entirely positive. They're, they're very revealing. You see Paul go from like a, like a fatherly tone to a, to a disciplinary tone, to a, um, to a grieving tone where he's grieving for them, but then also to a, a time of praise. And so he goes back and forth and back and forth. It's very revealing of his relationship with them. And on one of his journeys uh, to, to Corinth, he has a painful visit. A lot of commentaries just like to call it that. It's just his, it's his painful visit. It was a time when he returned to Corinth. And at the church, there was somebody who opposed him to his face. Ever been in a scenario like that where you're actually watching two people actually kind of go head to head against each other? Like, you know, um, or someone confronting somebody else? It's, it's terribly awkward. I mean, if you've ever been the one to be opposed of, you know, to your face by somebody else publicly, it's not, it's not comfortable. Um, and this happened to Paul. After all this time and energy invested into this church, he got called out. And so he went, he went away. And, uh, and, and in, in 2 Corinthians, he, he even says that, like, I, I wanted to come back. But what I but I didn't but I didn't want to because I didn't want you this church who have invested time in who is my joy I didn't want you to now be my grief, so he sent them a severe letter. Lesson learned, right? Because you know as much as I know that sometimes when you're kind of face to face in confrontation, your emotions can get the best of you. You might use adjectives to describe somebody else or a situation that you probably wouldn't use if you weren't, you know, hyped up and really strong, you know, frustrated, hot emotions, right? And so, so Paul does a, a good thing. He, he writes a letter instead. And I'm one of those people too, where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could express myself better, uh, you know, by writing something rather than just kind of saying it verbally. And so that's what he does. He, he writes what a lot of commentators call his severe letter. It's a, it's a letter of correction and addressing the leaders of that church and addressing the event and addressing the person who offended him and calling for repentance from them. And even in the midst of that, Paul is hearing murmurs, and he's responding to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he's hearing murmurs that people are, are are questioning his intentions because he's saying, oh, I'm going to come and visit you, but then he doesn't, and then he sends a letter, and then he goes here and there and, and everywhere. You know, um, his, his past don't seem to make a whole lot of sense to them, and so now they're starting to question his leadership. Can, can you sense with me the pain that Paul might feel? As he's doing his best to trust Jesus, he's doing his best, you know, to... to 
uh, to be led by the Spirit and to follow. Trusting in Jesus is not easy. Trusting in Jesus doesn't mean everyone's okay with you. It doesn't mean that, um, it doesn't mean certain success. It does not mean that you, you, you lead a life without suffering. And it's easy for us to become wary of trusting Jesus. But Paul learned a, a special truth. So this brings us right to our passage. So let's look again at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them, and I went to Macedonia. Now, um, let, let's talk about that for a bit, because Paul, Paul is waiting for Titus in Troas. Now, he's been on his journeys, so he goes to this city, and he's waiting for Titus to now bring him word from the Corinthian church about his severe letter, right? Like, you know that tense moment when you send off an email, like, and it could be, like, received poorly, and you're kind of sitting and waiting and hoping that everything is going to go well, and you're just full of nerves about it? Well, this is what Paul is doing, except that there's no email, and uh, there's probably no postal service. People are like, he has to wait for Titus to bring word, you know, and travel by ship or whatever to bring this information to him. It's taking a long time. So, so Paul is here in Troas, and I love the word that's used. It says, a door was opened for him. Other translations say he had opportunities to continue to preach the gospel. He had opportunities to continue to minister to people. But his spirit wasn't at rest until he heard from Titus. He needed to hear from him. So what he did is that he actually left, he actually left Troas and wanted to intercept Titus on his journey. So he wanted to leave that area and go to northern Greece where he could intercept Titus because he just needed to know that this group that he invested time and energy with, that they received this word properly. Now there's something here that is so precious for us to understand because it says the Lord gave him the opportunities to preach the gospel in Troas. God actually presented him an opportunity for certain success. But at the same time, his spirit was not at rest. Now, I want to illustrate that, right? Because we understand from what we understand of the gospel that Paul's spirit, his new resurrected spirit in Christ, is united with the spirit of Jesus. So God presented him an opportunity, an opportunity to choose. There was an opportunity now to go and continue to preach the gospel. There was opportunity for certain success, but instead that he was restless in his spirit and he went and he pursued that. He went and pursued the, the, the knowledge that things were going to be okay with the people in, in the church of Corinth. And, and what that can really teach us is that first and foremost, God really cares about how the church relates to each other. He really cares about our relationships. He really cares about us being okay uh, uh, with each other and reconciling and growing together. He has a, he has a concern for the local church. And, and you might be thinking right now, okay, oh my goodness, well, why would he leave an opportunity to preach the gospel? Isn't that what he's supposed to do? Isn't that what he's called to do? But instead, he followed that yearning in the spirit to do what God said. I was in a similar situation. Um, 
years years back, and uh, you know, I kind of alluded to it a little bit the last time I spoke, where I was talking about you know how you know I just left Bible college and I was now pursuing a new opportunity in in ministry, and doors opened up for me to to uh, to be a youth pastor at a church um, in Ottawa, in my hometown. My former youth pastor even gave me a word of, of recommendation, a referral. And so uh, this church, on the basis of that referral, was like, okay, listen, we really want you, Robin Antoine, who's all the way in Kitchener, we really want you to come and, and be a youth pastor at our church. And I had, I had a restlessness about it. I can't deny that. But at the same time, I looked at the situation and I'm like, this is a miracle. This is a door that's open. Like, like I should take it. Of course I want to do this because I've been trained to do it. Everyone's expecting me to go into ministry. I should go and do this thing. Um, but you let me know if, if you're like me in this scenario where um, it, it was evident that that was the case, that this is a door opened by God. But I was restless. I was terribly, terribly restless about it. And I was asking lots of people for their wisdom. And you, and you know when you get to that point where you've asked so many people uh, for their opinion in something that if you're honest with yourself, you've, you're just kind of trying to find a way to not do what God wants you to do, right? You're trying to find someone to affirm the, the you know, what you feel called, what you actually don't um, want to do. And so, and so I was in that scenario where I was just running around looking for all this information, but you know, instead I said, okay, you know what? This is an opportunity. It might feel restless in my spirit. I'm just going to go with it. So I went with it and I went to, um, to, to uh, work at this pastorate. So I had like a sort of a three-month probation. Um, great church, great people. Um, I, 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 I think I did an okay job. But in the midst of that time that I was there, it was so evident to me over and over and over again that that was not in, indeed the right choice. I mean, it looked great, but it wasn't exactly the right choice. And so in the end, when that three-month probation was over, I was on the other side of that, that equation, and the church had decided to not continue with me. And I was really heartbroken about it because there was a lot of, you know, a lot of people supporting me and making the move. And, you know, I was, I was in the process now of, you know, moving on with my relationship with Deanne, moving towards engagement and marriage. And, and so it was really like, a, you know, for me, it was a really heartbreaking opportunity to walk away from that. But it was quite evident to me in that moment that that was not where I was supposed to be, obviously, because the, the opportunity ended. And I came home and I felt really discouraged about it. And I felt really wary, again, of trusting in Jesus. But you know what? I resisted, I might have resisted the Spirit's leading in that scenario. But Paul did something different. Paul actually followed. He actually followed the Spirit, the Spirit, and Spirit's leading and went ahead to Macedonia to meet with Titus. He actually did the right thing and, and, and followed where he was feeling led to go. And when he went there, he experienced suffering. Right? And you're saying now, okay, well, who's safe? <laughs> you know, like, who's safe? If, if I do what God wants, does, isn't everything supposed to work out? You know, if I, if I do... You know, if I, do ex if I trust him properly, isn't every scenario supposed to be correct? Well, look, Paul does the, does the exact right thing, but he steps into a, a scenario where he experiences suffering. And he goes into, and this, we find out about this now in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. And he says this. 
Um, he says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 5, that he, in going to, uh, going to Corinth, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, in going to Corinth, what he experienced was fear without and fear within. He actually experienced much affliction in going um, and leaving where he was, and sorry, not going to Corinth, rather, but going to Macedonia. He actually experienced suffering. And so here he is following and trusting God in this, and then he runs into this dark scenario. And isn't that so, isn't, isn't that so dark? Like, it's like, okay, well, how, how can we be guaranteed that we're going to be secure and safe, right? Because trusting in Jesus, again, doesn't mean certain success. doesn't mean that everyone will approve of you. It certainly doesn't mean that we will live a life without suffering. What's the goal? What's the win? Don't worry, we're getting there. I know everything seems really dark. Giving you a lot of, giving you a lot of pictures to think about. Let's move on to the next verse here. We're at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal profession, uh, procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. How can he say, thanks be to God, you know, where the Spirit led him to go to Macedonia and he experienced suffering? How can he say that? Well, I have to give you, I, I, I just, I have to give you a, a picture of what he's trying to say here when he says he leads us in triumphal um, Procession. What is he trying to say there? He, he's actually describing a Roman, uh, a Roman general's or a Roman emperor's conquering procession in the word that he uses. And the word that he uses is the word triambionti. I practiced that. I am so happy that worked. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's try that again. Triambionti. I had to do it twice to make sure it was a gold. It was, it was gold. Okay, we got it. And so, and so you might have trouble picturing what this is. And so the best way to describe it is talking about my top three movies. You're, you're going to be blessed by this. My top three movies. Listen, I, 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 love, um, I love movies that really kind of, you know, get to the heart, you know, of a man. You know, really kind of, kind of talk about, you know, uh, you know somebody who, who, who demonstrates perseverance or resilience. Um, and, so, and so one of my uh, favorite films, and I'm not just saying everybody has to like it, but in my top three, my, my number three is, is The Dark Knight. If anyone's seen the Batman series, uh, I just love The Dark Knight. I just think that whole Batman series is, is probably the best superhero uh, films. And some people would say it's not even a superhero film, but it's probably the best uh, one that we can uh, out there right now. Um, and I just really love that second one, The Dark Knight. I think it's a great film. But then I have two films. I have two films that are sort of tied. And only recently they were tied because I rewatched the one, the one of the films. Now, now, the one I'm talking about and primarily is the film Gladiator. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. Gladiator is awesome. Such a good film. Such a story of you know, uh, suffering and resilience and... You know, there's revenge and there's redemption and there's all these things, right? Um, but in, in this film, there is a scene 
where uh, the villain who is who is the um, who who is now currently the emperor is leading a triumphal pro uh, procession into Rome, and it's a beautiful picture because I went and I studied what does triumphal procession mean, and 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 they actually captured captured it really well. So there's all this regalia going on. You have like prisoners of war who are at the head of this, like generals and uh, who have lost and um, and certain peoples who have lost and they're all chained and they're walking ahead. And then there's like all this music. And apparently these triumphal processions could take like three or four days because they're like a really big deal. And then at the end of this triumphal procession is the general, is the, the emperor, the person who won this battle. This person is coming up the end, and this is the last person you see, and everyone's excited for them. Sort of like Santa and the Santa Claus parade. Anyway, so it's like this really big deal. And what they have going on is that they have like all of these, sometimes they say, some um, historians have described it as priests would carry around these, these censers full of incense, and they'd be burning them. And it was supposed to be like the aroma of... You know, the emperor. It was a way of you knowing that the emperor was coming. You'd smell the scent, and it was, it was something that was supposed to be offered to the gods as well. And so, and so you, you see where we're going with this. Paul is describing all of us as always being led by Jesus in triumphal procession. We are always being led in victory. We're always existing in victory. And it's interesting that he would use this description after he's being led into a period of suffering, when he's being misunderstood by the church of Corinth. And yet he still has the audacity to say, but thanks be to God, us who are being led in triumphal procession. Um, and through us, this is Christ, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And this word fragrance relates back to the incense. It relates back to this aroma of the, of the knowledge of the emperor, or the, of the triumphant general coming. We are the aroma of Christ. You know, I, I was reading a lot about this, and I was looking for, opportunity, I was looking for opportunities to to maybe uh, make us the soldiers, like maybe we're also the Roman soldiers who won along the, alongside with the uh, with the general who won, or, or or maybe you know maybe we're actually like the prisoners, you know maybe maybe I could could put us into this analogy and say that we're like the prisoners and you know um, we've been we're prisoners of the Lord we've been taken captive by Him, but no, there's no room for that, because Paul says we're being led, but we are the aroma, we're the incense burning. Why is that? Why, why is this of, of, of any significance now? It's because who we were, our triumphal procession could never happen. It, it, actually, it was dead on arrival because everything that we could have ever done for success, any victory that we could ever have was null and void the moment we were born because we were born spiritually dead. We were, we were born with, with the... With, with the a lack of capacity to find life. The only goal, the only medal of success for a human being is to go from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that could have only happened through the person of Jesus Christ, through what he did, through Galatians 2.20. We had to be crucified with him 
so that we could be raised to new life with him. So what are we? We're just representatives. We are the aroma of him to the world. And, and, that's, and that's challenging to receive, right? Because, I mean, isn't there still performance? Um, am, am I still useful? Are, am I, as, you know, as an individual, is it inconsequential what I do? And we can ask ourselves that question, but, but let's take this for example. I want to talk about, um, if you don't mind, Janice and Marco, I want, I want to talk about you guys for just a second because, because uh, you, you guys are going through uh, a difficult scenario. You're going through a difficult scenario, and I have no doubt that you have been trusting in Jesus. I have no doubt that you have been taking the opportunity to listen to him and to figure out where he wants you to go, what he wants you to do, how's the right way to proceed you know, with family and everything that's happened now with Janice's mom's passing. I know that even as I'm talking right now, that you are processing and you're working these things out and there's other things going on and, it, and it's very difficult and you want to make sure that you're trusting Jesus and you're doing everything correctly. I'm sure you do. But can you get wary of trusting in Jesus? Of course, because it's hard sometimes because our circumstances, if we trust in them, uh, they, they don't allow, they don't, they don't make room for us uh, to find rest there. But the blessing is, as we press in as a church community, as we get to know how you've endured, but how you've endured well, how you've been resilient, how you've asked for help, how you've trusted in us and allowed us um, to stand beside you, the privilege of allowing us to stand beside you, it is the aroma of Jesus. You are representing Jesus so well. And when I see how you are enduring well, I see Jesus at work in you. And what does that tell me? That tells me what it looks like to allow Jesus to be expressed through me in suffering. And it allows all of us to also see that as well and to take that on, to know what that looks like. Um, so again, you know, thanks for letting people in. It's a blessing. Um, you, you are the aroma of Christ, and you are, you are life to those who are seeking life, even in the midst of this. Has God forgotten you? No, absolutely not. But sometimes we're always looking at our performances, and we're looking at our results, and we're looking at our outcomes to be an indication that we are following God perfectly. But it's not about that. You see, it's, per, it's perfume over performance. Uh, it's, it's aroma rather than accomplishments. Uh, for us, it's fragrance over function. Uh, for us, it's uh, scentedness over you know, success. Uh, if you could think of any others, you could throw in the comments. Uh, you know, um, but that's, that's, that's what we've been called to do. We're, we're just called to be representatives of the victor, the one who's won it all. And not only that, but he is leading us in victory. Yes, we can get tired of, and wary of trusting Jesus. 
Why? Because trusting Jesus doesn't mean everything works out well. It doesn't mean everybody likes you in the end. It doesn't mean that you probably get on the wrong side with family sometimes. It probably means that your children don't understand your decisions. It probably means that your parents don't really understand the decisions that you're making as a believer. It, it could mean that you are entering into a period of suffering. But we, we can trust that even in the midst of that, that we are being led in victory. And we can feel wary, but we don't have to be. And that was even the warning that, that, that Paul gave in Galatians. He said, don't, do not become wary of doing good, right? But we could still take hold of the fact that we are being led in victory. We are being led in a triumphal session. And not only that, that even in the midst of our suffering, God is completing his mission through us. And this is the truth that Paul was trying to reveal now back to the Corinthians. He's trying to help them to see that even in the midst of the things that he's experienced, nothing is going to stop this victory march. It's going to take years upon years upon years, and God will get the glory, and he will accomplish his mission, and those who have been called to life will receive life, and he will spread the knowledge of him everywhere. Awesome. But I, I, think, I think it's a little dangerous. I know it's a little dangerous too because I can hear the question, right? It's like, so what's our responsibility then? What do we do? Well, obviously, I'm going to encourage you to keep on trusting. Um, but I, I want you to really take this word picture. And uh, um, my, my daughter, Naomi, she's got, um, she's got this tricycle. And this tricycle uh, is, it's got like handles like this. So I could, so I could push it like it's a stroller. And she could sit in this tricycle and it's got like straps and I'm sure you've seen it, but it's like she can hold the handlebars. She could kind of turn it like this or that. But like for me where I am, I can control like where, I can still control where the, where the tricycle goes. And there's also like this little function at the front wheel where if I engage it, she could actually, you know, move the tricycle forward by herself. But if I disengage it, I, I can just push her along and those kind of, and those, and those uh, pedals won't even affect how she turns. And all this time, I am leading her along. I am leading her along. I'm, I, you know, I'm going here, I'm going there, going, you know, all over the place, going to the park, going here, going there. And she could, you know, enjoy the ride and stay in there. And, and sometimes, more often than not, she's tired of it. You know, she's tired of the surroundings, you know, or maybe she's a little bored or maybe things aren't happening as fast as she wants it to. And so, so she could try and get out of the buckles or try to get off the tricycle or whatever. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's not safe. I mean, we have to, you know, keep certain distances from other people. We have to make sure that she, you know, doesn't go anywhere close to the road and so on and so on. But no matter what, because of the way the tricycle is set up, I am leading the procession. Even if we go in places where she doesn't want to go, I'm the one who's leading. Now, I have the foresight to know as a father... You know, where, where's a good safe, where's a safe place to go? Where's, what's the right direction for us to take? I have that insight to do that, but she doesn't at her age and where she's at. I think you kind of understand a little bit of what I'm saying. You know, what you, you sit here and say, well, what's my responsibility? Like, what do I do? And the thing is, our responsibility is to, to not assume any other responsibility. Don't assume a responsibility that's not yours. I think most of the time, most of us get wary of trusting in Jesus because we want to assume the responsibility for the results and the outcomes, right? 
You want, to you, want to, you want to take hold of what happens next. You want to know it and you want to make sure that you have the control to make a scenario the way you want it to be. But it doesn't matter. You are being led in a triumphal procession. And so you can try to get out if you want, and, but all you're really doing is that you're missing an opportunity to be at rest. You're missing an opportunity of rest to trust your Heavenly Father to trust Jesus to know where we're going. Even though you may not like the surroundings or where it's headed, we can always trust in Him and receive His rest. The rest of just knowing that He is God, that He is in control, and He is going to lead us to where we need to go. You know, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And, and this, in this, the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to, to illustrate, to illustrate what it is to be apart from the law, from trying to own, you know, uh, your, your results and your outcomes. Uh, I love other, other uh, translations that say we, we were not supposed to labor, we're supposed to labor to enter rest. We're supposed to strive and work towards that, and that's it. But even that, of course, is difficult, right? It's difficult to trust him when we don't see what's ahead. But again, he's leading us in victory. We can take hold of that and be at rest. We can trust as well that he's accomplishing his mission no matter what we're facing. And this is the one, um, and this is what I want to say now and as we get ready to close is this. And what we're going to do is that we're going to take a look right now at those last two verses. So um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17. To one we are a fragrance from death to death, and to the other a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, there's something interesting going on here because he's referring to, you know, what is, what, like he's referring to uh, this fragrance is not only a, a, a blessing, but to some it's, it's, it's trouble, right? And so we need to understand the sort of the, the picture of what, you know, Paul's painting here. What, what kind of picture is he trying to paint? Um, He's painting this picture where that scent, that fragrance of the emperor, to those who are on the side of the emperor, to those who are gathering and waiting for him or that general to come through, you know, down the road into Rome, that is a scent of victory. It's a scent of life. It's a scent of knowing, hey, listen, we, we're still a prominent empire in the world. We don't have to worry about those in Gaul right now. We don't have to worry about, you know, the Mongols or whatever, like, Right, right now, we're, we're on top. And so it's, 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 a, it's a scent of life to them. But to the prisoners of war, to those who reject the leadership and the power of the one who's, who's the victor of the general, it's a scent of death. And so what Paul is using here in context to what he's doing in traveling the world and preaching and evangelizing, he's trying to describe those who who hear the gospel, who experience Christ in us, and yet they, they still reject. 
He's trying, he's trying to demonstrate that because, and unfortunately, the, the, the truth is this, that without Christ, you were spiritually dead. And, and we know this already, our bodies are physically dying. So you're just going from death to death if you reject that. But to those, but to those who is the scent of life, those who receive it as life, it's life to life. You know, our, our spiritual lives are, are, are alive, are, um, our spirits are, are made alive. But not only that, our spirits that are within us, a lot of our Romans says this, our spirits that are in us even quicken our mortal bodies to health. Like, like it's just, it's just a, it's such a, a, a vital picture of how um, the message of the gospel, it, it is, it's this life unto life. And, and Paul, is, I love how Paul says, like, who is sufficient for this? You know, it's like, who, who is even possible of accomplishing this? Nobody. None of us could do this. Again, like I said, we, the only human goal was to go from death to life. We can't be the victors. I mean, there's only one victory parade, and it's Jesus's. It's not mine. It's not yours. So, so we get to be at rest and be part of that victory procession. And, um, and continue on with Jesus to be, um, to be encouraged and to be his representatives. And, you know, 2 Corinthians is a, great, is a great book for this reason because over and over and over again, Paul gives these pictures of who we are in Christ. He says, we are the aroma of Christ. Uh, we are uh, letters of, of recommendation of, of Christ to people. We are jars of clay, you've heard that. We are ambassadors. We are the ministers of reconciliation. What are all of these word pictures describing? They are basically describing that it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about our victory march. But it's about extending and being part of the spread of the knowledge of the true victor, of the one who gives life, of the compassionate one, all around the world. It's such a beautiful picture for us to, to receive this. You know, I like how he says, you know, later on, that, that we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. You know, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. He said, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. What Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians here is it's like, listen, we, we are in Christ, but we, we, we're speaking about Christ, but we're also in Christ. Everything that we're doing, it's, it's in and through him. And we are trusting him to do this great work. So we're not like others who at this time were trying to use the gospel uh, for financial gain or use the gospel for their own fame or to accomplish their own results and outcomes. But instead, we are doing this um, for him. And so it's a reminder for us, you know, uh, to release the results and the outcomes if we can. Take that time. You know, for me, you know, more often than not, um, you know, if it comes to a point where I'm, I'm performing or, uh, or I'm doing something where, even today, even, even just doing this message, you know, I'm probably, I'm probably going to have a hard time with it when I'm done. I'm probably going to rethink everything I did. Did I do this right? Did I do that right? Did I say all these points? Was I clear? Um, you know, I, I, there's very, it's very possible that will happen. And, and the flesh wants to take opportunity to make me 
take responsibility for the results and outcomes. But that's a responsibility that I'm not supposed to carry. Why? Because I'm not leading this triumphal victory march. Jesus is. And so I am responsible only to labor to enter the rest of being part of his victory and release the right to the results, the right to the results. And just say, Dad, where, where are you going? Jesus, where are you going? I'm on board. Um, and I'm trusting you uh, with this next little bit. Even though it's hard, even though it's tough, I've been reminding myself that it's about you. And I'm trusting you to, to bring life. Well, I'll kind of finish the story here about Paul. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6 says this, you know, um, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And so something very interesting that happens in that book is that, uh, you know, chapter 2 and chapter 7 are kind of seem like as though they should actually be, you know, one, uh, one uh kind of series of thoughts, but then all of a sudden he inserts all this other stuff, and it's really great stuff if you read it. Um, but then he kind of continues his, his, his thoughts about his travels and in finding Titus. He continues in chapter 7, and he says, we faced persecution, we were afflicted, but we were comforted by the coming of Titus. And God didn't leave him on his own uh, to suffer. He, he, Titus came, and Titus brought word of this. Titus brought word that the severe letter that Paul sent, the leaders of the church responded well. And so well that they disciplined the person who opposed Paul to his face, who gave him the painful visit. And, and I love this because Paul even says in 2 Corinthians, he says, um, the discipline that you've, you, you've executed towards this person, that's enough. I'm not going to speak anymore. I'm not going to step over your authority. I'm not going to ask for more. You know what? Even Paul, the offended party, right? He's not even asking for more. He's just like, whatever you guys say that is, say is, is needed to be done for discipline, that's what it is. I'm leaving it. And he even says this. He says, like, don't overwhelm that individual to excess sorrow. You know, so that Satan would take advantage of that. It's, just, it's so beautiful. It's like, I can't even, I'm not that person. I may not be able to do that. But he was able to do that in that moment. Why is that? Well, you know, Maybe it's because he understood that, you know, trusting in Jesus is tough. Um, but he also understood that he was being led in victory. Um, that it wasn't really about him, but it was about him being a representative of Jesus. And so even in that moment, he was to the person who offended him. It's beautiful. Um, I just want to go back just very quickly before we end here to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. And, you know, you might be feeling like, okay, well, what about me? What about my emotions? What about the things I'm struggling with right now? I am weary. I am, I am feeling a lot of pain. But for 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says this, For we are the aroma of Christ to God. We are the aroma of Christ to God. So we're, we're not just the aroma of Christ to people. First and foremost, we're the aroma of Christ to God. So... We're, to, we're his pleasure. We're his delight. We're, 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 we're being burnt up. Uh, we're being fragrant not for, to, for him first and not for anyone else. 
And it's a demonstration of our value to him. That he delights in us so well. Um, that he delights not just in seeing us and leading us, but even the scent and the presence of us, he, he delights in it. And we are a fresh aroma to him for his pleasure, for his enjoyment. And second, we're this, we spread that same aroma to the world. So maybe you're in this moment right now, you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, uh, I don't really feel that way. And um, it's hard for me to, to understand that God really cares about me when I feel led by him to do certain things. I've been trusting in Jesus, but things haven't been working out well. Well, you're right to feel that way. And there's, uh, you're not wrong. And trusting in Jesus doesn't mean, like I said, doesn't mean everything works out well. doesn't mean that everyone likes you in the end. It doesn't mean that you don't experience a life of suffering. So what do I do if I feel wary of trusting Jesus? I accept that I'm always being led in victory. I accept today that he is always accomplishing his mission through me, no matter whether, whether I fail or whether I succeed. And he's always, lastly, reveling um, and appreciating and delighting in who we are. And we get to enjoy his enjoyment of us. So maybe that's just a simple thing for us to do, is to pause and to not look to any result or outcomes to be our joy, but to just let his joy and his love and his delight of us be our joy in a certain moment. I had a lot to say today, um, but I pray if anything, that's something that you can receive today and, uh, and would be life-giving for you. Thank you so much for your time. just want to say a quick prayer before we end. Uh, so again, Jesus, uh, I release the, the right to the results to you. And I trust you with this word. But I pray that more than anything, that you would reveal to us how we are a delight and an enjoyment to the Father. First, um, but that also that you were leading us in triumphal pr uh, procession uh, today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for your time, everyone. And uh, hopefully, we'll see some of you soon. Take care. Thank you.